Welcome to the Mortcast. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, go to bfwdenver.com uh, because you can book your table there, or you could pick up a bottle of, say, the 2017 Cabernet. Um, or you can pick up a lot of their swag on there. Or you can, like, reserve a table. And with people starting to get to normal now and more people going out, get yourself out there. You can sit outside on one of the outside patio uh, tables and really have a good time in the relaxing Colorado summer night. And uh, I highly suggest you do that. They have the 2017 Cabernet. They've got a bunch of reds. They've got a bunch of different whites. They are a great, great wine bar. One of my favorite places to go in Denver. I hold a lot of meetings there. Um, they are really basically a, a, one of, if not my favorite place to be when I go to lower downtown. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Go to bfwdenver.com if you would like to pick up yourself, pick yourself a bottle. You know, they do delivery, they do curbside, they do shipment, or pick up some of their swag. Go to Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. Okay, I am going to... Oh, I'm your, I'm Jeff Morton, in case you didn't know already, so I forgot to throw that in there. Um, I'm going to announce that I'm, I'm doing a new... I, t- I announced this on Twitter, but I want to emphasize it here. Um, I'm going to start doing these, like... F- four-ish podcast series on, on a specific subject. I've kind of all already done that and a little bit with the 2009 Nuggets series I did a couple of years ago and the uh, um, one on the Peter Bino Bertram Lee ownership of the Denver Nuggets I did about two, three years ago. Um, that one will come back. Uh, I'm working on a bigger story to go with the Bino Lee thing. I'm hoping to turn it into something more. This is obviously, as everyone knows, this has been a uh, labor of love for me or pain um, for the last, oh, I don't know, six years or so. So, uh, no, more than that, seven years. Uh, so we're going to, you know, that's part of it here. But I'm going to be doing podcast series. So I hope you all like it. Kind of like The Ringer, but with, obviously, the Jeff touch. Today, um, while I'm doing this preparation, I actually wasn't intending on recording until I got the series done, but I, my, I kind of have been seeing a lot on Twitter about how the Nuggets just need to get more of, the, of these defensive players in order to improve their defense to such and such a level for playoff basketball. And I think there's been some misconceptions about how and why the Nuggets lost that I think people have, I, I don't know why they, con- well, I do know why they concentrate on these things. Um, you Because the coach is the face of the, um, the basically the guy who talks the most, You you your narrative tends to be shaped by what the coach says. Um, the reality of the situation is, as long as Nikola Jokic, the superstar, is a guy that you're going to be built around, 
you're going to be inherently handicapped with having a great defense. And that's not a slight to Jokic. He's just not um, a guy that's going to get out and uh, protect the rim, which is, you know, overrated, I think. But he does. he's not athletic enough to take up space because the NBA has emphasized spacing so much. It has basically reduced many centers to the Clint Capella type, to where they're just uh, glorified garbage collectors. You know, you go in, you get the rebounds, you block the shots, and you get the easy dunker spot to two. You know, you just stand there and wait for a lob, that sort of thing. Jokic is far more dynamic, but he's big and he's a center. And it's hard to build around a player like Nikola Jokic. And this directly affects... Michael Porter Jr. And I think there were some misconceptions about the Nuggets and the way they've been constructed and the way things have gone, particularly since the Aaron Gordon trade. We have gone all in on the Malone narrative of there being a, um, this team being dreadful on defense and uh, Michael Porter being a defensive liability, which he's not great, but being a defensive liability, the team's attack, which is true. But let me tell you something, folks. That is not why the Nuggets lost to the Phoenix Suns. Um, people attack Jamal Murray on defense, and he gets cooked a lot. People attack Nikola Jokic on defense, and he gets cooked a lot. You can't have every person in your lineup being cooked. But here's the problem. The Nuggets lost to the Phoenix Suns because they couldn't score. And it was very obvious upon rewatching all the games, and I did rewatch all four games, that there was a... Jokic um, was obviously exhausted by the time they reached halfway through game one. Um... Game two, he just, you could tell he wasn't the same. And obviously, being the only person to play all 72 games in the MVP conversation, um, being a center who gets beat up all the time, obviously it's going to take a lot out of you. But the Nuggets were good enough other than Chris Paul's mid-range jumpers. But you can live with, and every single defense will live with Chris Paul hitting those mid-range Jumpers. The Nuggets' issue was they couldn't score. The Nuggets missed a ton of shots. A ton of shots. And that is where Jamal Murray would have made a difference. Um, This Nuggets team, as Jokic is going to be here, is never going to be an elite defensive team. Now, there is one caveat I'm going to add to this, and then I'm going to talk about this in depth in the second part. Okay, but it's going to kind of focus on what the NBA is doing this offseason, addressing foul drawing by the uh, perimeter players on, on quote-unquote unnatural movement. And I'll talk about that in the second half of the podcast. But for now, um, there has been this debate about Michael Porter Jr., and I think the whole defensive liability thing was o- overemphasized because N- Nikola Jokic is an okay defender, but he's not a traditional center who is going to anchor your defense. And that makes building around Nikola Jokic hard. Really what it does is it makes players who are on the perimeter have to work extra hard to contain. 
Uh, the Nuggets changed their defensive scheme years ago because the the whole concept was crash, get out to the perimeter. Crash, get out to the perimeter. And that still holds true. You know, they help Jokic. They don't. They they have they have Jokic cover pick and roll a certain way because he's you know you don't want people getting lob after lob after lob over him. It is what it is. Um, but that obviously leaves players like Chris Paul open, and there's only so much you can do. When you're in that scenario, any sort of team that you build around Nikola Jokic has to be elite offensively. And once Jamal Murray went out, the Nuggets were no longer elite offensively. In fact, they, they you know they beat the, the the Portland Trailblazers in the first round because I had something to tell you, folks. The Blazers were not that good. And obviously, the aftermath of which, which is a giant shit show that we're not even gonna, I'm not even gonna address, um, has unfolded largely because they are having issues, and that Portland Trailblazers team was not good. But the Nuggets, as soon as Jamal went out, their their offense just became a lot harder, and that is where I think people miss things. This Nuggets team gains a lot of defensive confidence by their offensive performance. And as I've always said to you about, uh, you know, sometimes Malone under, doesn't understand certain things. And I think he it frustrates him why this team only gains confidence for, for their defense from their offense. And that is why, and, and I'll tell him why. It's Nikola Jokic. If Nikola Jokic is out there making shit easy for you, it it becomes a lot easier for you to get out and kind of defend a little more aggressively. But let me reiterate this again, folks. It will never be, the Nuggets will never be an elite defensive team. And that is okay. You do not need to be an elite defensive team to win in this league. Largely, Phoenix has benefited from major stars getting injured throughout their march through to uh, the finals. Um, started with Anthony Davis, it continued with Jamal Murray, continued with Kawhi Leonard. Okay? They have, ex- it's been one of the most fortunate runs in NBA history. Okay? And they may benefit again in the finals with an injured Giannis. If they if the Bucks get that far, or a injured Trey Young, if the if the Hawks get that far, okay, that's what's going on, folks. But you see, with this Atlanta team, Atlanta's not elite defensively. This the, the league no longer rewards defense like it did in the nineties. But I'm going to address this after I read about DraftKings. The league is looking at trying some different things to avoid the unnecessary, I'm going to call it the James Harden rules, of unnecessary contact. And I, would, and I will let you know on the other side whether I think that will affect the Denver Nuggets, specifically when it comes to Nikola Jokic. All right, I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Um, as I've said over and over and over again, I personally, and I and I like being honest on this podcast. I don't I don't gamble, 
but I have family members and friends who do, and they all swear by DraftKings. Um, great odds, great promotions, things that they they can like grab onto, especially in these playoffs, and and do these prop bets. And these prop bets are like pretty, you know, easy to do. Uh, prop betting is a uh, something for people who don't gamble. You know, you don't gamble. It's easy to bet on something that has nothing to do with betting the spread of a game, right? And DraftKings offers that, and they're best in, you're the best in the business at offering those odds. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you t- to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win the next game, and you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code MHS for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The Denver Nuggets could be greatly affected positively by the new rules, whatever the NBA decides to enact, that are, is cutting down on foul drawing. Um, anyone who, and I'm going to be talking about this in some of my podcast series, anyone who's listened to me and you listen to my Know Your History from a couple years ago, knows that uh, the NBA deliberately went this way starting in 2001 when they got rid of illegal defense penalties and instituted instituted the right to do zone defense. They're called the Shaquille, I call them the Shaquille O'Neal rules. It's blatantly obvious. That's why those rules were put in place was to combat Shaquille O'Neal and their inability to ref him. And then in 2005, they got rid of, they shouldn't say got rid of, but they enforced hand check extra, extra enforced. So basically, with hand check out of here, defensive three seconds thrown in there, um, what had turned the the rectangular um, paint into something more trapezoidal, and what that has done was emphasize spacing. And then when people started chucking threes all over, the spacing got funhouse mirror exaggerated. Well. I, the reason I'm going to call whatever the NBA does the James Harden rules is because once the threes and it started going out, people realized that with, well, I can get three free throws here. The propensity to draw fouls on three-point shots was easy because there's no hand-checking. And what hand-checking did other than obviously keeping your hand on a defender, is that it gave you equal space with the offensive player. Like, the NBA, for most of its history, was a game of spacing. Even going back to the 50s. 
It was a game of creating space. It was how do you create space. It really was a chess match with how you did it, and defenses were able to counter a lot of ways because of hand-checking. Imagine Michael Jordan defending without hand-checking. Okay, just putting that out there. Um, so once they eliminated that, all the benefit of the doubt went to the offensive player. You can't get anywhere near the offensive player. And if you're anywhere close to within a very small circle around them, you're going to get called for a foul. The NBA has recognized the ridiculousness of this, but to be honest with you, they're doing half measures like they always do. And they're going to say anything unnatural, any unnatural movement, i.e. kicking your leg out, i.e. throwing yourself into a defender on the perimeter, you're going to get... Um, you know, they're going to outlaw that and try to try to turn it either through non-foul or an offensive foul, all that stuff. When in reality, what they should do is either A, go away from 3.33 foul shots uh, for three-point shots. It would disincentivize drawing fouls, to be quite honest with you. And that when the NBA was like that all the way up until 1993, I think, or 94, excuse me. So up until 94... It was two shots on a uh, three-point shot. Um, that was a change in the early 90s. And, in fact, they did that, they did that to encourage more people shooting uh, threes. And then they moved the, the uh, three-point line in a foot, and what that did was constrict space, and it didn't work the way they thought it would. Um, so getting... You know, that's, that's all well and good, but it's just going to make the official's job harder. However, if it goes into effect, and this is, I, I may have a guest on in one of these podcasts to kind of talk about that particular set of rules um, and see how that uh, kind of affects everything. But if it's effective, and if it's effective in kind of reducing the penalty for crowding a shooter. That would actually help the Nuggets. It would help the Nuggets defend on the perimeter. And that is something that may actually help a Jokic-led team on defense. Because, in, in essence, it would allow the perimeter defenders a little extra m- room to defend. There's still going to be issues with closeouts. There's still going to be the natural issue of Jokic not being an athletic person. So that's obviously going to be the the, the thing, but it may, may help these defenders on the perimeter, specifically Michael Porter Jr., uh, to get to a point where he can use his length to defend rather than constantly worrying about um, someone leaping into him unnaturally while he's trying to defend. And I think that would only help his confidence on, on defending. But we don't know. Uh, this is one of those things that the uh, the league really needs to focus on. But even then, it's only a marginal improvement. Um, the fact remains, and I'm going to hit this point again, that the, the, the Jokic, it will never be elite. The Jokic defense will never be elite. And that's okay. Because Jokic has the potential of unlocking um, a offensive team to an even bigger potential. And that's why I'm kind of really disappointed that this 
the season was kind of cut off at the knees as soon as Jamal went out. Because Jamal would have allowed so many counters to what Phoenix was doing. This Phoenix and Nuggets team, Nuggets beat them 2-1 in the regular season, and every single game came down to the wire. That's how close these teams were. And this Nuggets playoff run was not representative of where they were in relation to the Phoenix Suns. But a lot of teams are saying that. Look, if the Lakers are healthy, there's no way the the Suns get out of the first round. We all know this. And then, of course, that would have affected the Nuggets second round. So, you know, it's horses for courses. But this, this Nuggets team is not ever going to be a defensive juggernaut because Jokic is the main cog, superstar cog. But they can get average. But they need to not constantly worry about how the defense looks. They just need to get better as a team. And I think once they focus on that, coming into next year, obviously Jamal's going to be out for a while. But once they focus on that, things will get a lot desperate and things will get a lot stress, a lot less stressful. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Morecast, part of the CSG Network. I will be talking to you soon with a podcast series. I'll be talking to you later. Goodbye.